Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 123 of the Money Love Podcast. Y'all, I have the most fantastic guest for y'all today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I really did learn so, so much. And I know that you guys are really going to dig this conversation and learn a ton too. We are going to be talking today all about how to create safety with your money through regulating your nervous system. And I would say probably in the last six to eight months or so, this topic is one that's really caught my attention. And what I'm starting to realize is that in so many areas of our life, but particularly with money, I feel like this really has been the missing link for me. And I know that once you listen to this conversation, you're going to be like, wow, yeah, this all makes (laughs) total sense as to why I do the things I do, why things keep breaking down for me, and why... I have the head knowledge and why I know the things that I should be doing, but for some reason I can't just seem to follow through and I'm in total avoidance mode with my money. On the podcast today, I have Kate Northrup and I've followed Kate for a while. I've been a huge admirer of her for many, many years. And I've also been wanting to have this conversation about the nervous system for months, but I also knew that I'm not equipped to have this conversation, like just me. I I just don't know enough about this. And Kate is truly the perfect person to have this conversation with. Kate is an entrepreneur. She is a best-selling author. I have both of her books. And Kate supports ambitious people to light up the world without burning themselves out. She is the person who can teach you how to heal your relationship with money, time, and work. She has two books. One is called Money, A Love Story, and the other is called Do Less. She's also the creator of the Do Less Planner. She's the host of the top-ranking podcast, Plenty, and her work has been featured by the New York Times, Oprah Daily, The Today Show, Glamour, Harvard Business Review, and more. She is a delight to talk to, and she really, really knows her stuff, but you'll see this when you listen to the episode, she presents this information in a way that's actually like fun (laughs) to learn about. And it actually makes sense. And also in a way to where you can actually view it in the lens of your own life. And you will, without a doubt, see yourself in this conversation that we had today. We are breaking down nervous system 101, what it is, why it matters, the role that it plays in your money mindset, in your financial behaviors, and ultimately in your financial success. She's going to walk you through her three-phase process on regulating your nervous system so that you can heal your relationship with money and approach your money from a regulated space versus what most of us do a lot of the times, which is approaching our finances from a dysregulated place. All of Kate's information can be found in the show notes. So if you listen to this and you love it and you want to learn more about Kate, if you want to work with Kate, get her books, take a look into her programs, all of that information is going to be in the show notes. I know you're going to love this one. I know it's going to impact you the way that it impacted me. After having this conversation, it just felt like so many things clicked and it really felt like all the different puzzle pieces came together for me. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kate Northrup all about how to create safety with your money through regulating your nervous system. Enjoy. Kate, welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. I have been a longtime follower and a longtime admirer of you. And I'm just really excited to dive into this topic and this side of money today, which we don't often explore and dive into, which I think you're the perfect person to have here for this conversation. But just welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you. Thanks, Paige. I'm so happy to be here. Before we kind of dive into all the nitty gritty, which I know we will, why don't you just go ahead and just introduce yourself? And I know you also have a really interesting background with money, just in your own story of your own financial transformation. I would love to hear that because it's just really inspiring. Yeah. So, you know, I know one of the things that you focus on is helping women to stop their overspending behavior. And so 
I was a chronic overspender myself (laughs) and I was always great at making money. That was not as much of the problem, but I would spend right, you know, to the point of my income and then beyond as well over and over and over again. And I was such a financial avoider. So I got myself into quite a bit of credit card debt in my twenties. And, uh, at the time I think it was like 20 or $25,000 worth. I was making $34,000 a year. So relatively speaking, it was, it felt like Mount Everest in terms of the amount when I finally added it up. And I was such an avoider that I knew I was in debt, but I didn't know how much for years. And I was kind of playing the credit card game of like, the shell game, whatever, what do you call, what like would that balance be transfers and that like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. that one. Uh, so I basically like never really knew the full scenario and I was reading personal finance books. You know, I read David box work. I read, like I was, I was reading Susie Orman. I was like studying, but I just could not get myself to shift my behavior with the methodology that was available in the personal finance world. Because what seemed available was one of two things. One was kind of like the divine laws of prosperity, law of attraction, which I loved, you know, it was like very feel good, airy fairy, wonderful. I teach some of that stuff. And then on the other hand, it was like all practical and very discipline based and very much about being like a responsible adult, mm-hmm. which I just was like, I can't get myself motivated. It felt like it was trying to motivate me through shame and guilt. Yeah. And it just didn't work for me for behavioral change. So while it was obvious that I was spending more than I made, I could not get myself to stop. And then I had a revelation. And that revelation was, what if I treated my financial life as part of my self-care? Like instead of having, you know, my meditation practice and pedicures and working out and all the things that I do to take care of myself over here. And then my finances over here in the category of like, responsible adult things. Mm -hmm. What if I incorporated the paradigm of approaching my money as a way that I could take absolute exquisite loving care of myself? And that shift changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. And within six months, I was able to pay off all my debt. I doubled my savings. I tripled my income and things were dramatically different. What I find is that often, and and I know we'll talk more about this, about the nervous system later, but what I find is that so often in the finance world, we can get really stuck in 3D reality and focused exclusively on behavioral change. But if we're not looking at the emotions and the energetics behind the behavior, the behavioral change is not going to shift long-term. If it was just about knowing what behavior to do and then doing it, everyone would have their finances figured out by now. Yeah. Right. It's it's far more complex. And you know, there's far more to the story, but that was like that's what kicked me off. And that's that's how I came to write my first book, Money a Love Story. Yeah. So when we were kind of talking before this, it was funny because it's like the Money Love Podcast. And one of your books is called Money a Love Story. One thing that you say a lot, and I'd love for you to kind of expand on this, because I think that when it comes to money, like when you're combining the two words, money and love, people have a lot of strong reaction to that. (laughs) So much like subliminal messaging, just about money and what it means and what it means to actually have like a loving relationship with your money. And I know you talk a lot about how love was like truly the missing component for you in your financial practice. And I would just love to hear more about that from you of just like what actually loving your money looks like to you and like what that means to you. Yeah. So I knew I needed to do things like track my expenses, keep track of my income. I've been self-employed pretty much my entire adult life. So as a self-employed person, it's not like I have the same amount in my paycheck every week. Yeah. So 
tracking my income was also important because like really knowing like what is coming in and what is going out and what's happening with my investments and what's happening with this, the interest rates and all of that. So like paying attention to our money is critical for financial success, which seems relatively obvious. However, what we find, and I know you find this with your folks as well, is that financial avoidance, like this tendency to stick our heads in the sand and just think somehow, especially as women, you know, there's some deep conditioning that we need to overcome Mm -hmm. around thousands of years where we were purposefully kept out of financial conversations and out Mm -hmm. of positions of financial power. And so it's been relatively recent. Like my grandmother could not take out a loan in her own name without a co-signer in the year 1975. In historical time, that was like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. So it's very new that women are in seats of personal financial power or even any kind of financial control. And so it makes sense that we would sometimes default to avoidance. But I knew for me, I was not going to start paying attention to my money if it didn't feel fun and yummy. Mm. And so the love piece was like, okay, well, if I was dating somebody and wanted to have that relationship be beautiful and invest in that relationship, I would not only invest time with them, but I would bring my best self to those dates. I wouldn't show up feeling like I was in trouble. I wouldn't show up feeling adversarial to the person like, the you so many people make money the villain. Yeah. And we wonder then why we don't make as much as we want, why it feels like there's more month at the end of the, you know, at the end than there is money. Mm-hmm. Why all of these things, why it feels stressful? Well, is because there's a lot of layers there, but one of them is because we are approaching it from a place of scarcity and fear and anxiety and maybe even anger and resentment and leftover emotional baggage that we never dealt with. And we're bringing all of that to like looking at our credit card bill or going to the closing on our house or any financial or just buying groceries. Yeah. Right. And the way we do things really matters. The energy that we bring to any action in our lives will determine in some part or in whole, the result of that action. Yeah. We we know this. Like, are you, are you a parent? Yes. Okay. So when we're parenting, we know like we can ask our kid to do the same thing, but the energy that we bring will determine whether our kid will be resistant or will be an easy yes. And it has less to do with the words that we say, though the words certainly matter but it has to do with how we are showing up in that moment. Same thing with our spouses, same thing with our friends, same thing with our coworkers, our bosses, our employees, all of it. So we need to ask ourselves, who am I being with my money? And if this, if my money were a relationship with a human being, how would that relationship be going? And would that be a healthy relationship? Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of work from there. Yeah. No, it's so funny that you say that because I'm not even kidding. 15 minutes before I hopped on this call, I hopped into the Facebook group of the women in my membership. And there is this one girl who posted in the membership and she said, I just was sitting down and looking at the gap between my income and expenses. Like I make really good money. It was kind of like what you were saying. She's like, I make really good money, but I'm spending a lot of money. I just sat down. I just looked at everything. And the word that she used was, I feel disgusted with myself. Mm -hmm. And I went into the comments and I kind of gave her my thoughts about it. I was like, first of all, I think it's critical that we bring awareness to when you are just evaluating your financial situation. What is the emotional state that you are coming to the table with? Is it disgust, embarrassment, sadness? And instead of that, can we kind of tune into that? And the emotion that I kind of encouraged her to shift into was like curiosity. It's like, instead of like approaching this conversation or this relationship from a foundation of disgust, it's like, what if we were simply just curious? Like, what if we just started with baseline emotion of curiosity? And she kind of quickly came back and was like, I've never even thought to do that. Like I've never, it's never even registered to me to approach looking at my money 
from anywhere other than just like disgust, embarrassment, sadness, frustration. And I think this actually leads really well into the conversation about our nervous system because going back to the avoidance, I think that so many of us that are in avoidance with money, I think a lot of that actually has to do with the state of our nervous system around money. Yes. And I really want to dive deep into this because I think that on a foundational level, like if money is a resource that feels unsafe to you and your nervous system is not regulated when you're thinking about money, when you're around your money, when you're in the presence of your money, if it feels unsafe to you, if it feels dangerous to you, it's never going to be a resource that you're going to approach with compassion and be able to form like a connected relationship with. So can we just start from the beginning? Because this is a Mm -hmm. conversation I've actually never had on the podcast. Do you mind just giving us the basics? Like, let's just start with like nervous system 101. I would love to start there. Okay. So nervous system 101. I'm going to be practical in the way I describe this as opposed to like hyper scientific. Yeah. Um, Because I want people to be able to use this information, not like be able to teach a medical school about. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) The nervous system is a part of our body that is a network of neurons comprised of our brain, our spinal cord, and all these nerves that go through our entire body. So there's not one part of our body that is not impacted by the nervous system. What's going on with our digestion is based on the nervous system. What's going on with our endocrine system and our hormones, nervous system, our sleep, every single system is based on the fundamental health of our nervous system. It is the foundation of it all. Now our nervous system speaks the language of energy, which is very interesting. So our nervous system gets imprinted in our childhood in particular. So our nervous systems develop in response to how it feels in our childhood environment. And what our nervous system picks up on and essentially embeds within itself is this is the feeling of what it means to be alive. So whatever kind of the vibe was, in your household growing up is the vibe that your Mm -hmm. nervous system imprinted with. This is the feeling of being alive. Now we can imagine that with 8 billion people on the planet, there's a lot of variety in the energetic message we all received around what it means to be alive. As it relates to money, our nervous systems have an imprint in terms of what money is in terms of the vibe that we got growing up. And I'm going to describe a little bit in a moment about how we change that thermostat setting, but the thermostat setting is what our nervous system registers as safe because it's based on what is familiar. Doesn't necessarily mean it felt good, but it feels familiar. So the misunderstanding that most of our society has is that if you have more money, you don't have problems. Mm -hmm. And so we assume that people who grew up with money or that people who have money now do not have money stress, do not have money problems, and do not have disordered money behavior. Now you and I work with people around their money and you and I know that that's completely not true. Because the thermostat setting that we all received growing up was based on not how much money there was, but the feeling about money. Mm -hmm. So in my case, I grew up in a family with two parents who are doctors. There were resources, you know, I got to go to ballet class, like there was food. However, there was such a diametrically opposed energy between my parents and how they approached money that Money was extraordinarily confusing. It was the cause of a lot of stress and a lot of drama and a huge contributing factor in my parents' divorce. And there was a constant feeling or vibe of stress and pressure financially. So the thermostat setting I received in terms of what it means to be alive 
is in order to be alive, we have to feel a certain amount of stress and pressure. Now, later on in life, it makes sense that though I was, have always been an excellent earner, I would unconsciously and not be able to change the behavior of overspending until I did some other things, which we'll get to. So we will Xerox our history Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, because the nervous system is always making micro adjustments that do not require us to think Mm. in order to keep us alive. The nervous system's main goal is to keep us alive. It is totally wired for survival. It has done a wonderful job up until this point. Thank you so much. Thank you, body. And it is not wired by default for our thriving. Why? Because according to our nervous system, anything that is unfamiliar is unsafe. Most of us desire a financial reality that is different than what we've experienced before. Our nervous system is doing everything in its power to keep us from experiencing something we have not experienced before because it registers as unsafe. So what do we do? Right. 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 Yeah. Are we screwed? No. The good news is everything in the body is plastic. We can heal anything. And so we can rewire ourselves to shift that thermostat setting. So we have what's called one of my teachers, Tell Darden, who comes from the School of Alchemical Alignment, calls it the range of resonance. So we have this range of resonance. You could also call it a range of capacity or a range of regulation. Most of us have heard the term nervous system regulation, Mm -hmm. but I just really like the term range of resonance. It feels yummy. Yeah. So (laughs) range of resonance is your capacity to experience the things that happen in your life and remain at choice in your response to them. At choice, meaning you are responding as opposed to reacting. Mm -hmm. Reactions are unconscious and you're like, wow, something just came out of my mouth and I feel like I've been taken out over by a poltergeist. Yeah. Or like, wow, I'm having a panic attack right now about something that is illogical. We've all had these experiences where we're just having a, a response to something that is or a reaction to something that's happened in our life that is out of proportion to what just happened. That is because we have gone outside our range of capacity or outside our range of resonance. We are dysregulated. And so over time, what happens is we can increase our range of resonance. We can increase our range of capacity, but until we do so, we go into either hypo on the one end, hypo response, nervous system response is collapse. So collapse, it's like I'm under the covers in my bed. I cannot take any action. I'm completely in collapse. So that's freeze mm. response. Mm. Okay. Right? We've heard yeah. of the, there's the, there's the sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest, digest, restore, tend, and befriend. We are wanting to over time increase our capacity to stay in and return to quickly our parasympathetic response. So that's the hypo end is like collapse. Mm-hmm. And you might experience it as on a, in a more subtle way. Like you might not be fully in bed with the covers over your head, but, but it would be like, I just can't seem to take action. I'm really procrastinating a lot. I feel super stuck, sort of like depressed energy. Yeah. I feel the like hy- I go into hypo a lot. I feel like that's kind of my default. Yeah. Is hypo. Yeah. That's good to track, to notice like, okay, which one do I tend to do? And then there's the hyper, which is taking a ton of action, but not necessarily aligned action. Like it's not necessarily doing the right things. It's just doing things. It's looking really busy because that our nervous system in a sympathetic response also may go into fight or flight or fawn. So sometimes when we're in a fawn response, it's like very people pleasing, and mm-hmm. we're trying to do this whole dance of the people pleasing, which is takes a lot of energy yeah. to try to make everyone else happy. And so hyper is particularly tricky in our culture because we are as a culture, a sympathetic response culture that really celebrates activity. And so it's this whole idea of like, if it doesn't work, do it harder So if you have a tendency to default into a hyper response, 
it's sometimes tricky to sort that out because we may have received a lot of accolades and celebration from our hyper response. And so for many of us who are overachievers or recovering overachievers, some of our compulsion, and I use that word on purpose to achieve and be productive is actually a trauma response. Mm. So I have so many more things to say, but I just want to pause and see, are you tracking? Cause then I want to kind of like talk about how trauma impacts the nervous system. Yeah, no, I'm tracking and I, and I love all of this. And one thing I just want to say, and just kind of pinpoint here is I said this to you before we started recording, but I just feel like this is such a missing link for people. I know you probably hear this all the time. I hear this all the time as well, where it's just like over and over people will say, I have the steps. I have the black and white. I have the blueprint. It's like something just continues to break down. I loved the terminology that you used about your nervous system will just Xerox your past (laughs) like over and over and over and over if you allow it to. And if we don't take the steps that I'm sure you're going to walk us through. Yes. But I think it's just having that recognition of going, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. My body is doing exactly what it's been designed to do. My body is working in the context of survival and my nervous system is simply just doing what is familiar to it. And I think that's what's frustrating for people because people know that there's behaviors that they want to change. Like they want to stop overspending. They want to stop overeating. They want to stop, you know, doing all of these things, but they get frustrated when they feel like they can't stop. Well, it's just your nervous system seeking what it's always done and seeking the familiar. Logically, you're like, logically, I don't want to be doing this. You just feel like your body is kind of just being taken over. It's like, but you still continue to do it. And I think it's just recognizing that desire for the familiar. That's all that's happening. I know I keep bringing this back to specific examples, but I just think it's helpful. I had another example that's popping up for me, another woman in my membership. She was like, I was doing so good. I was making so much progress. And then this weekend I got paid and I went out and I spent all this money. And now I'm kind of in this like shame spiral and making it mean all these things. And it's like, really all that was happening is like, you just reverted back to what was familiar. And like, that's Mm -hmm. it. That's all that was happening. And I think when you can recognize that it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. Nothing has gone wrong. My body is doing what it's been designed to do. And that's okay. So it is okay. And I, you know, and, and when you speak about it that way, what you're bringing is the availability of compassion and love Yeah, because we will make way more effective change from a place of love than we will from beating ourselves up. No amount of beating yourself up is ever going to create lasting change. Nobody loses weight through beating themselves up long-term. Nobody heals their finances through beating themselves up. Like it doesn't work over time. It's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if that would have worked, it would have worked by now. Yeah. Because it's the strategy that our culture has taught us. Right. You know, it's like the strategy that my eighth grade soccer coach used for all of us. just like (laughs) screaming at us. And I was like, why is no one else like horrified? I was like, this is not motivating. I quit. Anyway, I was like, you you could love me into, you know, running faster, but not, you're not going to yell at me. We are animals. Yeah. So it's really important to remember, like, yes, we have these developed brains and we have all these capacities and we have all this consciousness, but like, you have to remember when it comes to the body, we are animals and 99.9% of our behavior is actually unconscious and it is therefore directed by our nervous system, which is just trying to keep us alive. And the way it knows how to keep us alive is to keep us in a familiar band of experience so that it won't go into the lack of safety of the unfamiliar. However, everything we want is outside of of our comfort zone. Yeah. And all the personal development gurus are like, everything you want is outside your comfort zone. And therefore you just have to be scared all the time and do it uncomfortable and do it scared and be scared and live uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, yes, we do need to do things that make us uncomfortable in order to grow. However, we don't have to live there every day, all day long. Mm -hmm. Like we do not have to be scared for the rest of our lives. Actually, what we can do is 
expand up to that point where our thermostat setting, you know, you set your thermostat to 68, it gets to 69 in the room and the AC turns on and you hear it and then it brings the room back to 68. That is exactly what's happening in your nervous system. So it's like maybe your nervous system setting is to have, you know, $75,000 a year in income and 20 grand in the bank Mm -hmm. for savings. Yep. But every time something happens to shift that you end up having an accident where you have to spend your, you know, your emergency fund, or you go back into debt because like this happens over and over and over again with my clients. And I'm, I'm sure you see the same thing. Yeah. What's missing is knowing how to work with our nervous system, because essentially our nervous system is the same thing as our unconscious. And it will sabotage us over and over and over again, because the nervous system will choose a familiar hell over an unfamiliar heaven every time until we change our thermostat setting. So there are three steps to shifting your thermostat setting. It takes some practice. It's not a one and done. It is like exercising and eating in a way that's supportive for your body. We need to engage with it every day. It's not like you get a new set of tires and now you can check that off your list. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Until like several years from now when you need the new tires again. So it's the three S's that I teach. And number one is stop. So you just have to stop and be like, oh, I'm dysregulated right now. And here are the signs. You're beating yourself up. You're overwhelmed. You're anxious. You're worried. You're feeling super exhausted all all of a sudden, and you can't engage with the behavior that you were wanting to engage with. You're finding yourself turning to numbing behaviors, whether it's like eating a lot of chips late at night, going to Target and filling your cart with all the things that you did not have on your list. Yeah. Late night internet shopping, Mm -hmm. doom scrolling, TV binging sleeves of Oreos. Like we yeah. all have our drug of choice. Right? Yeah. The like, bottle of wine. That's my bottle of wine. Right. Like yeah. I'm not saying I do not have my drugs of choice as well, but I know when I'm doing it, it's because I'm dysregulated, not because the chips are actually the solution. Right. So <laughs> we want to yeah. just stop and be like, Oh, I must be dysregulated right now. Or let's say here's a practical story that hopefully uh, will be, you know, will hit this home when I got my first book deal. So I published with Hay House and Louise Hay herself, like sort Mm. of like the grand dame of the personal development industry. I was with her in New York. She looked at me and she was like, we're so excited to publish your book. Welcome to the Hay House family. And I, I will never forget this moment. She closed a glass door at a hotel. I left the hotel and I went to a cafe and I completely lost it. I should have been elated in that moment. And actually I was in a massive guilt spiral because I was at the precipice of an expansion beyond anything I'd experienced before, an expansion in visibility, an expansion in impact, an expansion of achieving career goals. I mean, like being acknowledged, like all of these things. I did not have the nervous system capacity to maintain that expansion. It felt so unsafe. So instead I was crying at a cafe alone, feeling like crap about myself and feeling like they had made a huge mistake. Mm. So just, I know I'm not the only one who has had those completely illogical moments where you're like, this doesn't track. And also this was not what I thought it would feel like. Yes. Right. Yes. Totally. And then what we do in our culture is we make that mean, oh, there's something wrong with fame. There's something wrong with success. There's something wrong with making great money. No, there's not. We just haven't expanded our nervous system capacity to hold those things in a healthy, regulated way. I wish I had known this at the time. I was just dysregulated, but I didn't know. I thought I was a piece of crap. So, okay. So we stop and then we signal safety. So there's a number of different ways to signal safety. There are 80 million gajillion different nervous system healing practices, but I like to tell the five categories 
that will regulate your nervous system. And you can find a behavior that makes sense for the moment you're in for you. Mm -hmm. That is in one of these five categories. One is movement. So could you take a walk around the block? Could you put on a song and dance? There's a million different ways. And now if you're in a meeting, you could do a movement called havening where you just are like rubbing your hands over one another in a very slow, you could get out your hand lotion and you could just, this is a nervous system Mm. healing tool, right? Like it's not always going to be practical to do something big. You might be in a moment where that's not going to make sense. So movement, breath. So this is where breath work comes in. So beautiful. Not all breath work though is down-regulating. Some breath work is up-regulating. So you kind of need to know what you're doing just so you know. Sound. So making sound, singing a song doing a chant, literally making any sound you want. You could just be like, uh, and that activates and tones the vagus nerve, which automatically regulates the nervous system. Feels silly, works every time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I do the humming a lot. Like, I mean, home all day by myself. So I'm like, no one's going to see me. No one's going to hear me. I rock my daughter to sleep every night. And I always, Mm. I always hum. I always do the, "Mm." I, t- I tell my husband, I'm like, it always puts her to sleep. It's so yeah. relaxing for me yes. though. Right. Because to your point, I think it's like the movement, the rocking back and forth, but it's also kind of like just that low hum, right. Just that. Hum. And I love like singing too. Like if you're in the car yes. singing or. Oh my gosh. Or in the shower. Yeah. And yeah. rocking is a nervous system regulator. So I have, I have kept a rocker in our house, even though the- my kids are five and eight. Because I know if they're dysregulated, if they sit on my lap and we rock, it's what they need. Yeah. Like whatever scenario meltdowns, this situation is happening. It's pretty much handled by rocking. Yeah. It's so (laughs) crazy. It's my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. So we have movement, uh, breath, sound, laughter, and tears. So those are five you know, there's the emotional freedom technique. So there's EFT tapping. There's so many different regulating tools, but I like to keep it pretty simple for people who are just starting out. So choose one of those five that is appropriate in the moment and signal safety. What is happening in that moment is you are having an emotionally stressful moment, right? You're dysregulated because you have expanded beyond your capacity to be regulated in response to what is happening in your life. Yeah. So what you need in that moment is for your body to get the signal that it is safe. And so you signal safety with a nervous system regulating tool. What that allows you to do is metabolize all this excess emotional energy that no one ever told us how to deal with, Mm -hmm. right? Like most of our parents did not sit us down and teach us what to do with all the big feelings in our tiny bodies. They just told us not to cry and to be quiet. Yeah. And so we are left with decades of unfelt emotions that are stuck in our nervous system. So that when our husband looks at us funny one morning, we completely lose it. And it has nothing to do with him or that moment. And that's known as a trigger. So anyway, we stop, we signal safety. And then from that place, we can solve. What we tend to do is we start with solve. So it's like, I feel off. I'm stressed financially. I'm disgusted with myself, with my expenses. Mm -hmm. I need to solve this problem. But then we solve from a dysregulated place. And anytime we solve, when we try to solve a problem from a dysregulated place, we not only will not see the best solution, Whatever solution we come up with will, of course, Xerox our past. Dysregulated action creates a dysregulated reality and solution. And so instead, we want to stop, come back to wholeness, like regulate ourselves. And, And when you practice this, it might take two to three minutes. Like it could be fast. At first, though, could take a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's like building your muscles. Right. Like at first you go to the gym, like you do bicep curls with three pounds. I want to point this out to everyone because this is what I hear over and over and over is like, oh, I tried it once for 60 seconds and it didn't work. So that just means this doesn't work or I'm doing it wrong. 
So everyone just please let's remember what Kate said. It's like, this is going to be a continuous practice over time. It's just like learning a skill. This is a new practice that you're learning, you're adopting, and it's going to take some time. And as you do it more, the more you do it, you'll get more efficient at it. But if it takes a little bit of time in the beginning, or it feels like I hear this all the time, like this is taking too long. I'm not seeing results. I call it like the Amazon culture that we're in where it's just Mm. everything is like now, now, now instant gratification. Like if this doesn't work, you know, which is a symptom of living in a sympathetic society where we Mm. are all constantly essentially in fight, flight, freeze or fun. Yeah. And so much of our behavior is a trauma response, including false urgency, creating false urgency and like creating emergencies out of things that are not emergencies. Yeah. Okay. So going back to that last step, it's stop signal for safety and then solve, but solving from a regulated place, solving from a regulated place. And then, okay. So that's, those are the three steps. And when you repeat them over and over, over time, you will find yourself then at target, tired, hungry, and able to walk out of the store with only the toilet paper that you planned on buying Mm -hmm. because you have increased your range of resonance. And so you are able to go into the hotbed of your old behavior under-resourced and still do the behavior that is healthy for you, that you would logically choose, and you won't have to work to have that habit change. You will find yourself just doing the thing that is healthy for you because your nervous system has now updated its thermostat setting. You've had all of these hundreds of moments to signal safety at a moment of increasing your capacity, which is the same thing as changing your thermostat setting. And now your thermostat setting is for abundance and relaxation with money and health with money and a certain amount of uh, buffer that you like to have between your income and your expenses. So that unconsciously now you are doing the behaviors that are supportive of your new thermostat setting, which is healthy and in alignment with your actual dreams and goals. And then you don't have to like police yourself around all of the behaviors. You just find yourself doing them. I love this approach so much because I feel like talking about a lot of the advice that we're typically given is I feel like it's so focused on just like changing and manipulating your external world. So like if you go to Google and you Google like how to stop impulse shopping, how to stop overspending, it's like unsubscribe from emails and unfollow people. And it's just like change your external world to kind of like deal with this problem that you have so that you're never exposed to a trigger. So that you basically kind of go through life, you know, all these like pads on just like protecting yourself from like, oh, this trigger, that trigger. And for me, I'm always like, well, what are we saying here? Like, are we saying that we're just never going to go to Target ever again? Are we saying that we're just never going to get an email again? You know, about the 24 hour. That's impractical. It's impractical. It's impossible. I'm like, what we need to do is we need to do the deeper work, which is kind of what we're talking about today to your point to where it's like, you don't have to go through all of these like hoops and stuff to manipulate the things that you're exposed to in your external world, because it's like, no, I can walk into Target and just get the toilet paper, or I can go onto the website and only get what I plan to get, or I can get the email about the 24-hour flash sale with the timers and the this and the that, all this stuff that's supposed to invoke almost kind of like this sense of like false scarcity and feel regulated and feel like, okay, like there's nothing that I need. I don't need to engage in this. And so I'm like, that's the transformation. It's not going and changing everything in your world so that you never have to be exposed to this stuff ever again. It's just not practical. It's not practical. It's not going to happen. Yeah, It's not going to happen. And the way that modern marketing communicates with us is typically meeting us at our place of dysregulation. Oh, that's so good. Yes. And it adds to the dysregulation with urgency, with scarcity, all the marketing cues that you and I both have learned in all the marketing courses, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Tap into our unconscious brain that is wired for survival. Oh my God, I'm going to miss out. Oh my God, I'm going to be left out of the pack. 
oh my God, this is going to be gone. Right. So I'm reading this great book called scarcity brain by Michael Easter that talks about how we are wired as animals for scarcity cues. And of course, what we're talking about with the nervous system helps us to rewire our scarcity brains so that we are really able to see beyond those messages and certainly act if it's supportive of us. Like, you know, there's my favorite Christmas card company is running their 50% off sale that they do once a year right now. You bet your bum I'm going to be getting myself organized so that I can order by their deadline because that supports my goals with my spending with my family. Yeah. And, you know, not acting out of false urgency. I just had made that decision to spend that before. And now I can really receive that from a regulated place. And I'm not, there's just not creating any anxiety for me. It's just creating a smart spending decision. Yeah. Spending money from a regulated place versus a dysregulated space. When you spend the money from the dysregulated place, it's like after the money is spent and after you've made that purchase, that is when you have the spiraling. That's when you have the buyer's remorse. That's when you have the emotions of like disgust, embarrassment, self-loathing. When we can make those spending choices from a regulated place, to your point, like the card example, it's like after that money is spent, there's none of that. No, I feel great about it. Yeah, it feels great. (laughs) It feels aligned. And it's such a different experience. And I feel like even just showing yourself that that's a possibility, spending your money in a way that afterwards you just don't have this huge crash and this huge collapse and you don't just feel awful about yourself, even just showing yourself that it's possible to spend money in a way that feels good and aligned and guilt-free. A lot of people I feel like have never truly experienced that, like truly No, and they didn't even know it was possible because what they inherited in terms of patterns around money, what was modeled for them, but also what they inherited literally in their DNA of their nervous system, which I'm going to touch on those, the layers of trauma and how it impacts us is that money is stressful. Yeah. And every interaction is negative and stressful. And that's just the way it is. So it's like the fish in water who's like, doesn't even know it's swimming in water. It doesn't even know what's around it. Mm. And what we need to understand, which is a little complex, but also kind of helps us to not beat ourselves up is that our nervous systems are impacted by what happened to us personally. So the experiences of our childhood, the big T traumas, the little T traumas, the kid bullying us at school, our parents' divorce, abuse, like whatever happened, just to be clear, like we don't know whether something impacts someone as a big T trauma or a little T trauma. No one else can determine that fact. So something that would be hugely traumatic for one person might not be hugely traumatic for the other person, because the definition of trauma is something happening to you when you did not have the resources, support, or capacity to essentially feel that emotion all the way in and all the way through to metabolize it. So your body doesn't need to store it anymore. Hmm. And so we just don't know what anybody's dealing with, but what's important to understand, especially as women is that there are two other layers of trauma. We just think like what's impacting my nervous system is what happened to me. Actually, (laughs) there's also ancestral trauma. So think about, you know, if you live in the United States, many of our grandparents experienced the great depression in the Mm twenties. And there was tremendous scarcity, tremendous fear. Then they experienced world war II, Right. And then if you think about if your, your family's from other countries, and then you think about hundreds of years ago, what was happening in your particular lineage and what might be living still in your DNA around safety, scarcity, and resources. So there was an interesting study that was done on these rats and they took the rats and they piped in the smell of cherry blossoms and then they shocked the rat's paws. And so they associated the pain with the smell of cherry blossoms. Now rats have a pretty quick life cycle. So within those same scientists, you know, tenure, they were able to have uh, two more generations of rats. So they had, I think the grandbabies and the great grandbabies of those original rats. Mm -hmm. They took those rats, they piped in the smell of cherry blossoms. They did not shock their paws, but with the smell of cherry blossoms, those baby rats freaked out Mm -hmm. because their bodies had a memory of associating cherry blossoms with fear. 
even though they had never had that lived experience. So think about that for you and the people who are in your lineage, just know that we're acting out financial patterns that don't even didn't even happen to us. We won't even ever know the story. Doesn't matter. The good news is those same three steps, stop signal safety, solve will work, whether it was your story or somebody else's story. And Mm -hmm. then this is important just around social media and the news cycle in particular. Yeah. We're also impacted by collective trauma. So when there's something happening, especially to somebody who we identify with. So if it's another woman, if it's another person of color, if it's another lawyer or doc, you know, whatever, like anything yeah. that we would identify with, if we see something bad happening to them, our bodies register it because of our mirror neurons, the way we're wired, our bodies register it as it has happened to us because mm-hmm. our bodies don't believe the lie of separation and really know the truth that we actually are all interconnected. And so also know that there's going to be certain things you freak out about that also didn't happen to you personally. And the good news is when we do this nervous system healing work around our money and any other area of our lives, we are doing it on behalf of ourselves, but we are also healing seven generations back, seven generations forward. And we are also doing it for our little corner of the planet. This has just been such a fascinating conversation. I'm so, so glad that you were here today. I mean, I feel like that's kind of like the perfect place to kind of wrap us up, but Thank you so much for being here. And I know that I got a ton out of this conversation and I know my audience will as well. Before we go, can you tell everyone where can they find you? And I know you have, I know you have books. I know you have programs. If anybody wants to get plugged into that, where can they find that? Yeah. So if you head over to at Kate Northrup on Instagram, that's the best place to connect with me. And if you send me a DM over there, you can send me the word melt M E L T and you'll get a pressure relief kit, which is just a free workbook that I created. And that workbook has my favorite nervous system healing tool right in there. You know, I told you the five things, but there's one in particular that I really walk you through. So just send me a DM on Instagram that says melt and you'll get that over at Kate Northrup. Um, My website is katenorthrup.com. I teach a program called Relaxed Money twice a year that helps people heal their relationship with money using the framework of the nervous system and then practical financial change. And I'd love to connect. Oh, I love that. Also, I, love I have that. a podcast called Plenty. So since you're a podcast <laughs> listener, come over yeah. and listen over there. Yeah. yeah, check it out. I've I've been listening because I know you you launched it recently, right? Or relaunched it. Yeah. I listened to a couple episodes. It's fantastic. So thank y'all should you. check it out. Kate, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Money Love Podcast. If you're loving the podcast, then I want to invite you to join me in the Overcoming Overspending membership. It's where we take this work deeper and apply the concepts and coaching from each week's episode into your own life. By being a member, you have exclusive access to my Overcoming Overspending process, 10 monthly live coaching calls with me, a private podcast, members-only community, monthly money topic and challenge, bonus courses, and so much more. There's nowhere else like it out there to level up your finances and life. Simply go to overcomingoverspending.com to join and you can enter in the code MLP30 at checkout to save $30 on your first month inside the membership. See you inside.